Well, as I was uh, kind of praying about this message, um, I get into today and I have like no opening that happens from time to time. Um, but, but, you know, usually it's not a big deal, but I was just kind of stumped. And so as I was praying, God may or may not have revealed something to me. I don't know, but uh, I really like the movie. So that's probably all it is. But anybody in here like The Matrix, man, I loved it when it came out. You know, as I've kind of, you know, aged, it's kind of lost its appeal. But I remember back in the 90s when that movie came out, it was freaking awesome. It was, man. It was just mind-blowing. And I remember this scene in there um, that uh, you've got, you've got uh, Morpheus, and he's sitting there with Mr. Anderson, right, also known as Neo, and he's presented with a choice, right? Anybody remember that scene, the choice, the red pill, the blue pill? Um, and um, one was to, to go back to sleep, right, to keep buying into the lie of the world, right, the deception. And I love, there's, there's a line in there. He says, this world is designed to make you a slave. What an incredible analogy to this world because we look at our broken world, right? Right back to the fall with Adam and Eve and and Satan became God of this world. And its sole purpose is to deceive us, to keep us from what God has for us, to keep us from the truth, from from the the life that, that he's called us to be. And the second option that Mr. Anderson was presented with was the red pill, right? And it would awaken him to truth, right? It would, it would pull him out of his stupor and help him to see the areas that he'd been deceived. And I love this other statement. He said, he said, nobody can be told what it is, right? What the matrix is. It can only, they can only be shown. And, and as I thought about that, it really is to me a picture of what we encounter in our faith. It really is. This world is broken. It's designed by, by the God of the world. He, the one that broke it to, to deceive us and to keep us from what God intended it to be and intended us to have. And as we come into faith, we are awoken to truth. And I know this, nobody could adequately explain to me what it meant to walk out faith the way that God had called me to. Nobody could explain to me what recovery looked like through the lens of of salvation and the blood of Jesus. I had to experience it. And the funny thing is, now I have the the task every week of trying to explain something that I just want to shake some of you and say, just wake up and and take this and, and open your eyes to what God has for you. I promise you, if you give it a year, everything will be different. But unfortunately, all of you are too stubborn. No, not all of you. <laughs> but, but that's where we get, right? And that's where we're at. Tonight's message is called this. It's called awake. Say awake. Awake, awake and alive. Say alive. And so these past couple of weeks, right, we did Passion Week and we went into Easter. What a beautiful time to be in the church and a part of the Christian faith. Um, and, and Jesus had, has done something spectacular. Um, I know um, Easter weekend, we had like 87 people give their lives to Jesus or recommit in Sunday services. How awesome is that? Monday last week alone, we had 11. On top of that, there was almost 100 people in Cedar Point Church in three days that encountered Jesus Christ that became awake and alive to truth. And so as we're carrying on this theme, 
As we're carrying this on, I wanted to touch base. What does it mean to, to be awoken to truth, to be alive in Christ? How does that impact our lives? How does that impact our recovery? Because I know this, I, I used to do things differently, right? I approached every relationship differently. I approached my children differently. I approached my job differently. I approached recovery differently. And it kept me trapped in cycles, trapped in lies, stuck and unable to push forward in a way that, that was healthy and in a way that I found success because it was a lie. It was a system built to keep me trapped, right? The, the brokenness of this world, relationships the enemy's way are a lie that's meant to imprison us, imprison us and to keep us from, from the marriage that God has for us, from the relationship with our parents or our children that God has for us. Doing jobs the world's way, right? Pursuing money above relationship and, and, and ruling people from a place of unhealthy authority rather than a humble mindset is meant to keep us trapped. We even have a term for it, the rat race, right? And we know it and we run it knowing that it's a will that we can never escape. And it's a lie. It's a lie. And it's not until we step out of that lie and step into God's truth that we are awoken to what he has for us, that, that we're alive and experience it all the way that he intended for us. I wanna start in 2 Corinthians 4, verses three four through four. And this is the apostle Paul. And in 1 Corinthians, he'd written this letter to the church of Corinth and he addressed sin that was in their church. And then 2 Corinthians is a follow-up. And he says this, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil. And, and that's the good news that, that we preach about Jesus, right? The gospel, the, the message of salvation, the message of freedom. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who's unwilling to see the truth of what takes place here? Right? It's so frustrating because we know we experience it. Right? There, there's nothing that you could ever say that, that would cause me to go back on what I know to be true because I've encountered God in such a way that my life has been transformed that it's hard for me to explain it to people. And I encounter some people, some in my family, and I just try to, I try to say, if you only knew, if I could only show you, but, but the truth is hidden behind a veil. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And going back, Satan has blinded the minds. And so if he's God of this world, then, then the systems, the things of this world are intended to keep us from seeing truth. They're intended to keep us from seeing the visible image. I mean, Christ is described as the visible image of an invisible God. They're all designed to keep us from that. And every time we buy into it, every time we convince ourselves that it's innocence out there, we're giving in to this deceit. We're allowing ourselves to be blinded. First Timothy, this is another letter from the Apostle Paul. First Timothy 4, 1 through 2, it says this. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. Now, I'm not saying that this is necessarily end times, but it's all of our end times, right? Every one of us 
you know, will, will perish at some point. Um, but it goes on. He says, they will follow deceptive spirits and teaching that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences, their consciences are dead. And I, I know this to be true, that, that things were, that were blatantly obvious when I was a child, right? Truth, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, just is turned upside down on, it, on its head, is it not? And the world we live in now is incredibly confusing, especially if you view it through the lens that we grew up in. But it says the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. That, that again, the world that's outside of these walls that, that we encounter day in and day out, it's meant to deceive us. It's meant to to trick us, to keep us from the things of God. Our culture today, our culture is, is one of the enemy and our culture is full of new truths and profound revelations of how things should be and how we've missed it, right? We're, we're told all the time that, oh, this was wrong. We were mistaken. This is the new truth. This is my truth. There's only one truth. There's nothing new. Since the beginning of our faith, there have been those seeking to distort the reality of what is true. These attacks are nothing new. They're repackaged, repurposed, sold to us time and time again. Time and time again. From the very beginning, with the sole purpose of keeping us from the presence of God. Since the beginning of creation, Satan has sought to deceive those willing to lend him an ear. To those willing to be so proud to think that they know better than the living God, the creator of all. Says, As we surrender to Jesus, though, we must surrender to truth and recognize these lies for what they are. We must recognize Jesus for all that he is. Jesus is life. And outside of him, we are incapable of experiencing the fullness of what God has for us. Outside of Jesus, there's nothing that we experience the way that God intended it to be. No amount of sex will ever amount to sex inside of marriage by God's design. No amount of pleasure will ever amount to what God has intended it outside of his design. Anytime we step outside of God's will, those things that we experience, they're not genuine. They're counterfeit experiences. And that's why the pleasure we get is so fleeting, the happiness so empty, the brokenness that it leaves so real. Because Anytime we try to do something our way, anytime we try to make ourselves God of anything, we miss it. And it leads to depression. It leads to addiction. It leads to divorce. It leads to abuses of all kinds of horrendous ways and things. It's, it's not right. And so as we begin to, to view life awoken to truth, alive in Jesus. We have to begin to view it through the lens of the cross, through the lens of what he's done for us. And tonight, I wanna teach us from Colossians 
chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians was a letter written by Paul to the church of Colossae. Um, and it was written while he was imprisoned in Rome. And in this particular church, Paul didn't actually start, but one of his friends had started it. But something began to take place over time. Deception began to creep in to this particular body of believers. And, and they were being deceived by false teachers and, and false prophets. And they were being drawn away from truth. And so he, he did this to address those false teachings, those practices, these, these things that were influencing the saints and their faith. In other words, the culture of the time and place was in direct opposition to the gospel. Anybody relate to that now? It seems like everything we face in the season is right back at that, right? There, there's almost this, this wanted sense of an embarrassment nowadays if you, if you say that you go to church in the wrong circles or you proclaim some type of faith, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I find myself struggling sometimes, right? Because like anybody, I, I battle, right, with wanting to fit into this world and wanting to be submitted, fully submitted to Christ. And, and these things, they, they, don't, they don't mesh. They don't blend. It's, it's oil and water. As much as we try, it just won't work. And, and this letter was, was written to address these things. Paul proclaimed that Christ alone is enough. No other person, knowledge, or system is needed. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to open it up to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, that's in our New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. If anybody's impressed, I wrote those down, right? I wrote them down. So just so you know, um, I just wanted to do that once. Rick does it all the time on Sunday. Man, he forget him, right? I wrote it down. I wrote it down. I did it too. You guys let him know. Um, Colossians 2. Colossians 2, starting in verse 1, it says this, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the, for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. And so again, this is Paul writing. He's in prison. He's in Rome. He's never been here. He didn't start this church. He's never met them, but he's writing to them because his friend, I think it's Epaphras, came and met with him in prison to reveal all these things that had taken place. So I want, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. And he's saying that because these lies, they create disunity, right? And we've experienced that in our families. And if you've been in church long enough, you've experienced in the church, right? We begin to get at each other. Well, I believe this. Well, I believe that. Well, there's just one truth. There's not your truth. There's not my truth. There's just God's word. And God's word, it's meant to knit us together. Strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. So why is Paul writing this? So they have confidence of God's mysterious plan, which Christ himself, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What an impactful statement. What an impactful statement. I'm going to read that again. It says, in him, in who Christ, lie hidden all, say all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And everything that's worth knowing is found in Christ. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you're going to read your Bible and you're going to learn physics. But, but the things that matter to, to our eternity, 
to, to our salvation, to the way that, that we experience love and relationships in life. Every bit of, of knowledge that's important, all treasure is hidden in Christ. But, but the world convinces us that it's a, a dated book of antiquity, that it, that's fable, that it's fairy tale. It's the living, breathing word of God that reveals all truth, all knowledge, all wisdom. He goes on, he says, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. So no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. You know one of the greatest ways well-crafted arguments come in to the church these days? Social media. TikTok, memes that are theologically inaccurate, taken out of context. I see lie after lie posted presented, packaged is God's truth and, and it's well-crafted arguments and, and it's lost on so many of us because too many of us are far too lazy to open up God's word and read it for ourselves and so we allow somebody to put it on a pretty background and twist it and, and make it something that it's not meant to be to draw us away from God's truth and then the church ends up in this place where they follow their heart. When God's word says the heart's wicked, where they follow love without a clear understanding of what love is, that, that they, they shy away from discipline and sacrifice and miss out on the fact that God says we're to die to ourselves and take up our cross and, and to lay it all down in pursuit of him. And we buy into the lie that God just wants us to be happy. That, that somehow it was all about us instead of all about him. Well-crafted, well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, say and now. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must, say must, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Point number one is this, that we need to awaken to the reality that only Jesus can provide a suitable foundation we, we continue to try to build our, our lives on, on falsehoods, pretensions, lies, th things that mislead us from what Christ has for us. But it says this, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. I see it all the time. Um, there, there was an element that I did. Uh, we weren't, we weren't um, avid churchgoers growing up. Um, God was talked about. And there was almost like this, this lie that I bought into as a child because we were born into a Christian family, right? My, my parents proclaimed faith. My grandma proclaimed faith. Then by default, I'm a Christian. Uh, I, that's kind of the mindset. And I know one time I raised my hand at some Southern Baptist church and one of the only times we probably went to that church and, and gave my life to Jesus. And then I went through life um, assuming that Somehow that equated to salvation, that, that equated to faith, and, and that's what it was. Now, the bad part about that is because I, I was never disciplined in anything. I didn't learn anything. Um, as I went through life, 
not doing anything related to God, not reading God's word or understanding any truth, um, I, I, thought, I thought that was it. And so then in my mind, I'm like, well, well why would anybody want to be a Christian? I mean, that's just crap. Because I completely missed it. Right? There wasn't there because it was just right there that, that I accepted Jesus in my mind as an eight-year-old, but there was no continuation. Right? It says, continue. You must continue to follow him. It's more than raising your hand. It's more than showing up on a Monday or a Sunday or an Easter service. If you're here to get your sheet signed, it's more than that, right? There's something that should take place in our lives, a discipline following, opening up his words, some type of sacrifice, humble ourselves before God, continue to follow him. And then it says, let your roots grow down into him. That's a growth where it spreads out into Jesus, where you want to touch every facet of who he is and experience his presence in a way new each and every day, be made new each and every day, growing him. And roots, they draw that nutrients, right? And, and we don't have any roots. They're shallow at best or they're stuck in the world. And we're trying to draw everything we need from TikTok, from Facebook, from Instagram, from our neighbors, from bad relationships when we should be drawing it from Jesus. And our foundation is off and we need our, our only foundation. The only foundation that's suitable is Jesus. Is Jesus, we gotta stop buying into these lies. We gotta let our, our roots grow down deep into the truth, the truth of who God is and what he came to do. The Christian faith and Christ-centered recovery is so much more than a raised hand. For six years, I came here and I remained empty and broken and far from God. Because I, I never broke away from that mentality that this was all there was. Um, you want to accept Jesus? Yeah, why not? Just Sunday. What about Monday? Forget Monday. I could get drunk. Right? What about Tuesday? Eh, we'll see. Sunday, though? Man, last week was hard. Time to recommit. Monday? Yeah. We'll do what Aaron wants to do. And I did that for six years, thinking that was it. But it wasn't until, man, I really let myself spread out into God's truth and, and sacrifice, died to self, did the difficult work, made myself uncomfortable in my faith and, and made him the true foundation. It wasn't until then that I experienced growth. And again, so often... We see individuals base their lives off of trends, off the of fads, off of outright lies. We let the voice of social media be louder than the voice of God. And that leads to brokenness. That leads to kids eating Tide Pods, man. It's just disgusting. <laughs> we allow participation trophies to replace rewards for hard work when God's word is clear about hard work. Helicopter parenting to replace allowing kids to gain real world experience and maybe the experience of a belt. Trends that used to take decades now sweep the world in the matter of months and we chase these things and we build our lives on them and around them and it's a house of cards meant to deceive us and lead us to brokenness. Again, we need to wake, awaken to the reality that only Jesus can provide a suitable foundation. Verse 8 says this, don't let anyone, say anyone, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. 
Again, anyone, anyone to capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. This is a complete rejection of any philosophy that's based on human thinking alone. If it doesn't come from God, if it's not rooted in God, it's no good. It's no good. We have to stop consuming those things and view life through the lens of a a risen Savior. Verse 9 says this, For in Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. In Christ lives the fullness, the completeness of God. And we know through God's word that Christ was the visible image of an invisible God. So if you want to know what God the creator, God the father looks like, acts like, loves like, we look to Jesus. In Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete. Say complete. Complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. And so we need to awaken to the reality that we are made whole through Christ, that we're made whole through Christ. We, we see this. It, it's a lie. Um, anybody in here, I know you all have heard of the concept of a soulmate. That, that's crap. There, there's never been a bigger lie perpetrated on marriage ever Ever, ever, ever. That's so stupid. It's so stupid. And if you're in here and you've bought into the concept of soulmate, I would love to tell you how stupid you are later out there in the lobby, but I don't have time for it right now. Because that, that gives this picture of somehow some person completes you, right? No, unless that's the person of Jesus. Outside of Jesus, right? Nothing makes us whole. It's only through Jesus that that we're complete, made perfect, needing nothing. Only through Jesus are we made whole. And we continue to, to look to God's creation to do something that only the creator can do. And for me personally, that led to 18 years of substance abuse. That, that led to unhealthy sexual relationships it led to divorce and, and anger and all sorts of evil, wicked behavior for me personally. And it was all in pursuit of being complete and fulfilled because I didn't know this. The world convinced me that it was those things, right? Maybe that's a truck. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a supermodel spouse. Maybe it's the great job so you can lord all of that over everyone else. But we're only made whole through Jesus Christ. Don't allow lies to convince you that you need anything more. Through Christ, we have everything. See, everything. Everything we need for salvation and right living and life. Philosopher Pascal wrote this. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in a man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. He's saying we all have a, a vastness, an emptiness, something missing 
in our lives. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find and those that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself, to put this as simply as possible, there is a God-shaped hole in each of our lives, and only God can fulfill it. To put it in redneck, you remember those little box toys and you had the round hole and the round peg went in there. And if you tried to put the square peg in there, it didn't work. And then you would shove it in there and you would break the toy and your parents would get mad on you. That, that's what we do in life, right? And, and we have that God-sized hole and we try to fill it with drugs and alcohol and sex or, or, or money or spending money, right? And stuff and we keep cramming it in there and it doesn't work. We're just tearing ourselves apart because it can only be filled by God. We are made whole through Christ and through Christ alone. John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus said it best himself. He said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He's saying, listen, I know you hunger and thirst for things and, and you keep trying to satisfy it with, with the things of this world, but that only leaves you wanting more. But what I have to offer, it quenches it. It satisfies it, right? We may not have all the stuff that we want, but in Christ, we have everything we need. It's only through Christ that we're made whole. Verse 11 says this, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. All the men in the room, don't worry, okay? We're not doing anything weird after service, all right? We're not doing anything weird. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. All the men, <sighs> circumcision by cutting away your sinful nature, I'm going to hear it from my wife later. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And part of what it's talking about there is, is circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign of a covenant, agreement with God. Well, baptism is kind of a picture of that now, right? We've accepted what Jesus has done for us. But, but what he says is you were circumcised. There was something cut away. It was your sinful nature cut away for when you were buried with Christ. And the last point is this. We need to awaken to the reality that our new life is true life. Our new life is true life. It goes on in verse 13. It says, you were dead because of your sins. You, you were dead, spiritually dead, numb and broken because of your sins. And you might be in here tonight and, and you've never accepted Jesus, right? Maybe you, you're where I was at those first six years of coming into the church or the first 30 years of my life. And, and you're, you're in that place and you've never submitted or accepted or surrendered. You're still dead. You're still dead. You were dead because of your sinful nature, and your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. God, God makes you alive. 
God, God allows us to experience, we talked about this last week, the joy that we receive in our salvation, right? Because of Jesus, there's things we have because we were dead and we were made alive. And what gets confusing is because God created the world, even though he didn't break it, and maybe Satan's God of it now, but he's not creator of it. And there's things that we experience in this world that confuse us. And when we all experience an element of God's grace, right, we call it common grace, and, and, and this is a picture of that. Anybody in here like steak? I should see more hands in this. It's Oklahoma, for God's sakes, people, right? Anybody in here chicken people? The Old Testament says you might be going to hell. I don't want to alarm you. It may or may not be in there. But all the steak people who like it rare or medium rare at best, you guys are my people. You're great. I see you. I see you. I see yes, yes. Another hand over there, sir. Yes. Um, <laughs> Common grace says this. God, a creator God, created that delicious steak. And it is so succulent, right? You cut away at it, and it's bleeding on your plate, maybe still mooing a little bit, and you stick it in your mouth. No sauce, right? Maybe a little bit of salt, maybe a little bit of pepper. And it's just like melting in your mouth. And, and that's like the goodness of God on a plate, right? That's common grace. And, and you can experience that whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus. But those of us who know Jesus are also full of this other joy because we're like, man, a God created this for me to experience how awesome is that right that's the difference so there's common grace okay hey you can slap too chicken <laughs> there's common grace jake's gonna beat me later <laughs> there's common grace where we all experience the goodness of god but but then there's a fullness right because we're dead in that and we experience common grace in our in our death but then we're made alive in Christ and we get to view everything through this new lens of a risen savior right we get to experience that joy that we talked about last week and and this it's just so much better right steak is better as a christian so if you're a non-believer in here that should be enough for you to try it for a year right um anyways it goes on. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of our charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What, what Christ did, yeah, clap for that. What Christ did is he took our, our dead, broken, unworthy selves, right? I, did, I don't deserve what God's given me. I don't deserve any of it. And I was dead and far from him, but, but he, he's awakened me and he's made me alive and I get to experience something great because of Jesus. And we need to be awoken to that reality, to that truth. We need to be awoken to, to life, true life, real life. And absent of Jesus, stuck in the world, you're experiencing a counterfeit version. You're experiencing life the way that the enemies has created it and designed it. You're not experiencing what God has for you. And I love how it closes here in verse 15. It says, in this way, in what way? Through Christ, through the blood of Jesus, through the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross, right? Like he, he overcame he overcame all of it through the blood of Jesus, right? He shamed the people who, the, the spiritual rulers, right, that create the deception, the demons that create the counterfeit, a Satan that broke this world, that's designed it to trap us. Through Jesus, he shames them publicly because we're awoken to this truth where we see, man, what a load of crap I bought into. 
what, what is this nonsense? Like the, the blinders are lifted. Truth is revealed. And we experience true life, real life, through a very real, very risen Savior. To recap tonight, point number one was this. Only Jesus can provide a suitable foundation. It's the only thing worth building our lives off of. The only thing worth building our lives off of. Number two, we are made whole through Christ. We're made whole through Christ. Stop allowing yourself to be deceived. Stop trying to, to shove that square peg in the round hole, right? Only God can feel that emptiness. Allow him to. He so desperately wants to know you and to be close to you. And number three, our new life is true life, a life in pursuit of Jesus. That's the genuine version. Everything, everything else is counterfeit, is fraud. Our action steps tonight, spend time discovering the person of Jesus. Why is this important? He is the visible image of an invisible God. It, it, Christ was given to us as a gift, right? As salvation saves us, but also so that we would know our Father, our Creator. Get time knowing, spend time knowing Jesus. Learn the truth about God's word in regards to you and to culture. Again, when we go back, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. You have to know truth to know what's not. Otherwise, everything sounds like truth. <clears throat> Number three, deal with false beliefs and lies that you've given into. And that's only through knowing the truth. So tonight, um, you've got to start with having the blinders lifted, right? Um, we read at the beginning that it, it, the unbelievers, those that, that are unwilling to take that step, right, that, that initial step of faith and surrender, they, they remain in darkness. They remain blinded to the truth. And so tonight, I, I want to do a couple things first. I want to take just a moment and I just want to pray really quick that, that those in here that are far from God, that, that are still unable to see truth would. So if, if you guys would, just for a moment, just bow your head. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your Holy Spirit. And, and God, we just pray that right now in this moment, God, that you would begin to awaken those that, that are dead to truth. God, that you would begin to open their eyes and their ears to the reality of your word to your presence. God, begin just to do a work in their heart and in their lives. Tug at them, nudge them. Lord, beat them over the head with a hammer if you have to. Just help them to see, to know, and to understand who you are and what you've come to do for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So tonight, if you're in here and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life and you're ready for that moment of more than a hand raise, but that moment of surrender, a moment of, of disciplined following, if that's you and you've never done that before, here in just a moment, we're gonna have some people down here at the front. They would love to pray with you and for you so you can receive the greatest gift, which is the gift of Jesus. If you're in here and you've done that before, you've gotten off track, you've missed it, you've messed up, and you're just like, man, can I ever come back? 
Absolutely. Tonight could be your night. So if that's you and you want to recommit, same offer stands. Here in just a moment, step out of your seat. Come down here to the front. We're going to have some people waiting down here to pray with you and for you so you can recommit tonight. And then if you're in here and God's just been dealing with you, right? Just been dealing with you like, Maybe you like chicken better than steak or, I mean, maybe it's some other sin in your life, but you just, you're ready to surrender. You're ready to surrender it, whatever it may be to God. We've got these chips down here for you and there's nothing special about them. It's, it's a piece of plastic, but there's truly something special about an act of faith. And when we step out of our seat, when we come down, God sees that. I mean, he honors that act. And, and when we know in confidence that he's going to deal with it, I believe God moves. And so if you need to surrender something tonight, we want to encourage you to come down here and get a chip. And then maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you're in here tonight and you just need somebody just to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. We would love to, to do that for you. So for any of those things to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to pick up a chip, or just to receive prayer, we want to encourage you to step out of your seat and come down front with us. And if everybody would, if you'd stand to your feet as we close in worship.